Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, July the 16th, 2019. This is episode 2471 of the Survival Podcast. Today's show is a Just Jack show, like most Tuesdays are. We are in the middle of doing, I say the middle, we're at the beginning of doing a four to five part series called Half Acre Homesteading, but not today. Don't worry, uh, we are doing our alternating weeks now, Thursday, every other Thursday is a call show, and every other Thursday is another Just Jack show, at least for a while, while well, I feel like doing it that way. Uh, so we will return to Half Acre Homesteading on Thursday. So what are we going to talk about today? Today's show is a crowdsourced show from the audience via MeWe Monday. What is MeWe Monday? MeWe Monday is the first salvo in a war against the bigwigs of social media, and it is part of something called Operation Zuckerberg. Yes, Operation Zuckerberg. This is where we give Mark Zuckerberg the middle finger on Mondays and go hang out in MeWe, just for Mondays. We also have F Facebook Fridays, but we will leave that for a future show to tell you about that. So, what happens to make sure that people feel maybe a little bit of incentive to get over to MeWe on MeWe Mondays is I run MeWe Monday Chats. Yes, with me. I am there during them. And they are in the Survival Podcast Hangout, which is a group that we've created on MeWe. And there's a chat board there, and you can kind of log in anytime you want. There's people there most of the time. Uh, but definitely you will find people there on Monday between 10 and 10.30. And today it actually started, yesterday it started around 9. I checked in about 9 a.m. Central time, by the way. And I hung out till 11. And sometimes I'm there more and sometimes I'm there less. But I, I hang out on the Mondays. And sometimes we just free chat, you know. But what I did this week is I said, hey, help me out, guys. I want to do a show on 20 things that should be in your vehicle. Like a lot of things, 20 grew into 25, and we ended up with a great list of 25 items that should be in your vehicle at all times. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through this list, and I'm going to start out telling you some of the reasons that you should, well, have this stuff in the first place. I know, I know, I am preaching to the converted a little bit here. This is the Survival Podcast. The audience is made up mainly of people to prepare But I think it's always important to know why you're doing what you're doing. So I'll give you three bullet points that will let you make the case to your unprepared brother Tom or your unprepared Aunt Sue as to why they should have these things in their car as well. On that note, there's a couple things you need to know about today's list. Number one, it is not an exhaustive list so that you're prepared to bug out to ten buck two. This is not a redo of what Stephen Harris and I did with the Bug Out Trailer Show. We were talking about full-scale bugging out. This, this list has very little to do with bugging out intentionally. Generally, if you bug out intentionally, you have a little bit of time to add additional things that wouldn't normally be in your vehicle. Number two, this, vehicle, this, this list of things for your vehicle does make two assumptions about you. That you are a prepared enough individual that you have a 72-hour kit, a.k.a. a bug-out bag. You have that. And that while there may be an item or two that is in both your vehicle and your bug-out bag, if it's really seen to by your bug-out bag, like three days of clothing, then we're not going to 
create another level of redundancy. We're assuming that item 26 in this list is your bug out bag. Obviously, if you are going somewhere in your vehicle, you would put your bug out bag with you. It does you no good at home in your closet, right? So if it's in the bug out bag, it may not, not certainly won't be, but may not be on this list, and yet it's still assumed that you would have access to it. Number two, we also assume that you believe in something called everyday carry. Now, see, everybody has everyday carry. Everybody and their mama has everyday carry. They just might not have very much and not put any thought into it. But we assume that as part of your EDC, you carry a knife. Right now, I have my hand on a knife. Right? I don't have to worry about... Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have another knife in a vehicle. So just because it's not on the list doesn't mean it's wrong to have it or you shouldn't have it. It means it didn't make the list because as a critical list that we purposely pared down to 25 items, we made a determination that, hey, that thing isn't going on the list so something else can because... Well, dummy, you should have a knife in your bug-out bag, and you should have a knife in your everyday carry, at least one. And if you want to throw an extra knife in your truck, go ahead. If you have the rest of this stuff, you'll probably have that taken care of as well. And hopefully that frames the context of this list, where we're coming from, and understand it was crowdsourced, so lots of people participated in it, and I had to make judgment calls of what went in the list and what didn't go in the list and let some in the list and maybe wouldn't have been. Like, it, it's all about making you think. It's not like if you have these 25 items, you are prepared to fight Red Dawn. That's not what this is, and maybe there's different things. Now, here's what I'll say about that, though. If you think, well, Jack... If you were really, really a switched-on modern survivalist like you claim, you would have this one item that I would have had, and you don't have it. Guess what? If you had been at MeWe Mondays, you would have contributed to the list, and it probably would be here. Who knows? Maybe, if you're that right, we would have had 26 or even 30 items on the list. Who knows? So that's my little, little teaser there, guys. Get on over to MeWe. And uh, join the revolution against social media giants like Facebook with a company that actually cares about your privacy. And no, they're not a sponsor. They don't pay me. I have no affiliation with them other than I use their platform. But I'm really enjoying communicating pe with people about things that are meaningful versus watching the left and right side of the political dichotomy hurl shit at each other like monkeys, which is what I see go on on Facebook every day. Just saying, if you, like, Facebook sucks... I agree. That's why we're on MeWe. So check us out over there. If you want to, you can just go to MeWe.com, sign up for an account. If you search for Jack Spiracle, you'll find me. Send me a friend request. I pretty much re accept everybody's friend request on MeWe because unlike Facebook, MeWe doesn't say, you can't have more than X number of friends. They let me have as many as I want. And the way I look at it is it's so easy to block somebody. I let everybody in, and when somebody's a dill hole, I block them. So before we get to the list... Let's go ahead and remind you about our two sponsors of the day. They do a lot to help take care of you by supporting the show and making sure it's here for you five days a week. So make sure you think about them when you're going to do business. Do business with the companies that support the programming you love. Today's first sponsor is ButcherBox. I am totally stoked to have ButcherBox as a sponsor, and I'll tell you why. They're the only sponsor I have that pays me with their own product. Yep, everybody else, I make them pay me money. Everybody else has to pay me money. That's how it works. I do have to make money or I can't do this show. ButcherBox said, hey, can we, like, pay you in meat? I said, I don't know. Send me a box of this meat, and I'll determine whether or not, one, you could be a sponsor, and two, whether or not I'll accept this payment. And uh, so they sent me a box of meat. Oh, yeah, I'll take this. So I get a big, giant box of meat 
every month. I usually spend a little bit of my own money too, though, because I usually add stuff to my box. If you give ButcherBox a try, you'll see why I feel that way. And you'll see why I'm happy that I get paid with a giant box of meat every month. You too can have a giant box of meat sent to your house for not much more than you're paying for your meat in the stores right now. And it will be like having a professional go out and hand select your cuts of meat. It's that good. Pastured poultry, pastured pork, grass-fed beef. You find it all and more at ButcherBox.com. Next up today, Backwoods Home. Backwoods Home is the easiest thing for me to endorse that I've ever been asked to endorse. Why? Because I've been a subscriber, a paying subscriber to Backwoods Home since 1993, and I didn't start the podcast until 2008. So when I was approached in 2010 by Dave Duffy of Backwoods Home, and he said, hey, would you consider us taking us as a sponsor? Um, yeah, sure. And now I get to work with people like Jackie Clay and Dave Duffy, etc., great authors that I spent over two decades reading. If you subscribe to Backwoods Home, you'll see why I'm such a fan. Check them out today, backwoodshome.com. All right, with that, let's go ahead and dive on into today's show. Again, I want to remind you of the purpose of this list. This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, this is not a list that Jack Spearco would come to your house and go, I see that you do not have a fused kit in your car. Your modern survivalist card is revoked. No, this is just things that we determined that if they were in your vehicle, you would be better off and you would be able to get through most things. You can't get through everything. Let's say you get hit by a giant gravel truck and are crushed into an area the size of a grape. I don't care what you have in your vehicle, you're not getting out of it, right? So we're not trying to do the Mad Max thing here. We're not trying to create a bug out list. This is, in general, maybe not every single thing, but in general, this stuff should be things that, that a person who is a 29-year-old soccer mom or a 17-year-old kid would be better off for having in their vehicle should the need arise for them to be used, okay? Not just specialized people that know how to do cool stuff. All right. So before we get into the list, though, let's talk about a little bit of an impetus for why it is insane that most Americans do not have a reasonable amount of preparedness items in their vehicle. And I would say that, you know, if most people had half of this, they would be usually okay. You know, half of this, uh, and, and one of the things in here is some extra cash. So half of this, including the cash uh, and a AAA card, And most people would be okay and would not end up stranded and in, in, in having big problems at times. And, and there's a reason that people do end up stranded in their vehicles, and it comes down to time. So my first thing I want you to think about today is I looked up, because you can get statistics for stuff like this. These are actual statistics from the government, so you know they're accurate. I think in this case they probably are. They seem to make sense. The average American will spend 18 hours a week in a vehicle, one way or another, as a passenger or a driver. 18 hours. There are 144 hours in a week. Like all the hours. The ones you sleep, the ones you're awake for, the ones you watch TV, the ones you work. When you add up seven days a week, all the hours that are, 24 hours a day, you get 144 hours a week. 18 hours is 12.5% of your life in general is spent in your vehicle. That means if something happens to you, just by that law of average, there's a 12% rough chance it'll be in your vehicle. I actually believe that it's a higher probability because a lot of times things don't happen when you don't go nowhere, 
right? We obey the, the rule of not doing stupid things in stupid places with stupid people. So usually we have to get to that stupid place with that stupid person. And the number one way we get there today is in some sort of a vehicle. So I think the very act of being on the road makes it more likely that something's going to go wrong. But even just on the straight, just somebody flips a coin, and if it comes up heads 19 times in a row, something happens to you. There's a 12% chance just on the law of averages that you'll be in your vehicle. So shit cannon does go wrong, and there's a 12% chance that shit will happen when you're in your vehicle. Might be a good idea to be prepared. Uh, the next thing is there's about 6 million car accidents a year in the United States. And when you run the numbers, it comes out to 4% to 6% of everybody in the country. 4% to 6% of every person in the country will be in an auto accident on an average year. That's, that's, again, that's real numbers. Yeah, it's from the .gov, but uh, I think they're pretty solid. 4% to 6%. There's a 4% to 6% chance that you'll be in a car wreck. Now, that doesn't mean you'll die. And some of those car wrecks are, you know, like your guy tapped your back taillight, put a crack in it, and, you know, you, you don't even exchange the insurance. You go, I'm, I'm not worried about it. It's, it's not even worth it. I, 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 I can't be bothered with this. It's, it's not serious, right? So that, that can be, but it also can be the, the fatality type. But the average accident, generally speaking, whether there's injuries or not, nobody dies, but there is one or more vehicles are disabled. And you don't get to pick where your accident's going to be, right? So you, you do have to think about that as well, that it may be the case that you just your accident has you stuck somewhere. And there's an awful lot of stranded vehicles every year. I wasn't able to get that number, but I was able to get this number. The average vehicle on the road, we look around and we think they're all new cars, When you take out the clunkers and the brand new vehicles and you average everything together, the average American vehicle today is around 11 years old. That means that just vehicles in general you know, are, are running around out there with somewhere between 70 and 150,000 miles on them. And vehicles are going to break down. It's going to happen. And even brand new vehicles break down. So the whole point here with understanding this is there is a fairly large possibility that you and or someone you love will be somewhere with your vehicle when something goes wrong in the next month. There's a fairly good chance that it won't happen, but there's a fairly good chance that it will. So if we're going to be prepared, we always think about preparing based on probability, right? What is the probability of this disaster or inconvenience or whatever level in between that it is? And the odds that something will go wrong when you either are in your vehicle or are with or near your vehicle are very high. Because now let's think about the other side of this. By having the prepared vehicle, let's say you're not driving and something goes wrong at home. While you do have all your other stuff, you also have the stuff that's in your car. More importantly, you're at the office. Things go wrong. As long as you can get out of the building, your car's there. Even if it's not a good time to go home, your car's there. Okay, That's what we're thinking of when we come at this. So let's start out with this list. But even though I, even with what I just said, a lot of this is about the vehicle's mobility itself, right? And so I think the first thing, and like I said, some of this stuff is more of a kit rather than an individual thing. The first thing that people are weak on is what I would call a tire kit. These are all the things that you need to keep your vehicle going if your tire gets flat and or damaged beyond the ability to fix the tire itself. So this includes a quality jack. 
the majority of vehicles today come with jacks that, while they do work, um, really increase the risk of injury using them. It, it actually, I'm kind of astonished with the fact, you know, vehicles sell for forty to $60,000 in America. There's a lot of vehicles in that price range, and a lot of them even in the $30,000 range. With, with manufacturers of cars selling vehicles for that much money, for the same amount of money that we bought houses for 15, 20 years ago, with the liability that they incur, that they don't include a better jack with their vehicles. So a quality jack. The other thing you want to do when you get a new vehicle, you want to check the lug wrench that comes with it for removing those lug nuts. And you're probably better off with something called a four-way lug wrench. If you're not familiar with that, Google it. Look at images and, and curse your, your, your upbringing and your public schooling for you not knowing what the hell a four-way lug wrench looks like because there's just no reason for it. Um, if you're a smaller frame person, and really for anybody, a cheater pipe, which is just simply a pipe that can go over the lug wrench that will give you more leverage and able to uh, break loose those lug nuts if they're over-tightened by the guy at the tire shop who swears to God he used the torque wrench and didn't. Um, on that note, there's nothing wrong with there, there are plug-in impact drivers. Those are great. You don't have to have one, but that's something to consider. An air compressor, and one that has enough ass to inflate the tires on your vehicle. The one I use is made by a company called Viair. It's kind of their biggest one that they make. It's designed for people with RVs. Uh, I have it because I have an F-350 with really big-ass tires on it. I mean, my redneck buddy John from next door went, wow, those are some really big-ass tires on that truck, that kind of tire. So I have to have something that can handle those tires, at least to get enough air in them that it's safe to get to a shop where I can get a better compressor. If you have a smaller vehicle, you can get by with a much less expensive air compressor, but if your air compressor won't actually air up the tires on your vehicle to a point where you can at least you know, kind of limp to a tire shop or something, it's useless. So make sure that that happens. A plug kit. I've, I have a plug kit that's at tspaz, tspaz.com. You can just go there and put plug kit in the search function, and you can find the one I recommend. But I really think that people should have plug kits. There is so, Once you know how to plug a tire, I would say probably 8 out of 10 things that cause a tire to go flat can be fixed with a plug. And can generally be fixed without jacking the vehicle up, without removing the tire. And so you find it, you plug it, you air it up with a compressor, you go on down the road. It may even be the case that you're like, I need to get the tire replaced or properly patched if you don't believe in plugs, which I think is just wrong. Um, but at least it gets you off the road without spending any more time than you have to on the side of the road getting run over and killed. So the problem with plugs is people buy a plug kit, they don't know how to do it. So I would, you know... You you can talk to a tire shop. They'll probably be willing to give you a used tire on a cheap-ass rim for nothing and learn to plug tires. So you can air it up at home, drill a hole in it with a freaking uh, cordless drill and plug it and make yourself a believer in it. Because if you don't know how to use this stuff, it's useless. Next, I, I know I shouldn't have to say this, but you, you need a spare tire. You need a spare tire in your vehicle so that you can actually... Put a spare tire on. You need to know how to put a spare tire on. And the other thing you need to do is make sure your vehicle comes with a spare tire. Some vehicles today don't come with a spare tire. Um, There's another thing, like you're paying $50,000. Half a hundred thousand. Think about it that way, right? Half of six figures for a, a, a truck that's going to last five to ten years. And they don't give you a spare tire. And this is my thing with that. If I was, I never have bought a vehicle that didn't come with a spare tire. It's never been a case. If I ever find myself and I'm buying or you know long-term leasing, three-year lease type thing of a vehicle without a spare tire, 
uh, I'm going to get right to the point where I'm about to sign the contract and say, you know, I noticed that vehicle doesn't have a spare tire. Well, we can add one for, no, 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 no. The vehicle will have a spare tire or I'll go somewhere else because I'm not paying extra for a spare tire. And I guarantee you, like magic, a spare tire will appear for your vehicle. If they have to go rob one from another vehicle that had it as an option, as stupid as that is, they will do it to close the deal. So make sure you have a spare tire and make sure you check your spare tire. So another thing that's in your tire kit is a pressure gauge. You need to be able to take your tire pressures because a lot of times a spare, the way it's mounted maybe and put away, it will be very hard for you to be able to determine it's actually flat. But when you see zero on the gauge, you'll know. So a good tire kit. Next up, a fuse kit. And I used to just say fuses. So for those that are uninitiated, your vehicle has an electrical system. And probably somewhere underneath your steering wheel is most vehicles. Some vehicles, it's like even in the doors now. Um, but you'll find a little panel, and you pull that back, and you look, and you see all these little pretty colors. And, and those are called fuses. And in the old days, we had fuses that looked like a little tube. Now we have fuses that look like a little square with two little prongs. And it makes it very hard to, uh, to jerry-rig one if it's blown and you don't have a proper fuse to replace it with. The other thing is, generally, you could reach in and just grab one of those little suckers with your fingers and yank it out. However, sometimes the way the fuse boxes are and how many they're in there and how hard it's pretty hard to get them out. So you can buy a fuse kit. It'll have an assortment of fuses of different uh, amperage, and you get a little thing with it that's designed to pull fuses. And it's just making like a little pair of plastic kind of tweezer plier hybrid thing. And they work really good, and they're worth having. They usually come in a little pack with your fuses, and that should probably be in your glove box. Because your fuse going and blowing can be annoying, or you can be stuck. It can be the fuse that runs your radio. Eh, okay, we'll get to radios later, but eh, you're, you know, not having your radio is annoying. Uh, it could be a fuse that maybe runs the blower for your air conditioner, and it's like July. That sucks, but at least you can still put the window down. But it may be the fuse that runs your electronic fuel ignition. If you don't know what electronic fuel ignition is, let me just put it this way. Your car ain't running without it. So if something is not working with your vehicle and there's a potential that it could be electrical and you understand what your fuse box is, you can look in there and you can usually get a flashlight and shine it and through the top of these different little color fuses, you can see when one's burnt out. If you have something all of a sudden stop working and you find one that's burnt out and you replace it, there's not a guarantee, but there's a good chance it might just work again. And you might find that you have something, you know, a fuse that is a, like a 15. Well, if you put a 30 in there, it could blow something else up and burn something else out because it needs to be designed for that fuse to pop at a certain amperage. So make sure you have a good assortment and make sure you're replacing like with like. All right. Uh, next up, on that kind of note, you need a basic toolkit. How advanced? Well, how advanced are you? But I would say at least a good assortment of screwdrivers and ratchets and wrenches, a hammer, and a multimeter. Right, I think a multimeter it was one of the suggestions made by a lot of people in the MeWe chat. Make sure it's the multimeter. There's a lot of little quick electrical troubleshooting that we can do with a multimeter where we can solve problems, we can bypass things. And I know what some of you are thinking. You know, that's great and all for you, Jack. You used to be a, a mechanic in the Army. Let me just say something about that. General mechanical knowledge, boy, that gives it to me in spades. Uh, how to work on the modern 2019 vehicle When I came up working on you know 1980s and early 90s model diesels in the military, 
like you know, 10, 10 ton trucks, it doesn't really help. Right? There's a lot that I do know and a lot that I don't know about vehicles. But yeah, I can do some basic electrical troubleshooting and all. The reason you should have a decent basic toolkit and things like multimeters in addition to your basic tools is that there is a good chance that if you are stranded somewhere, you may be able to get help from someone else. That person might have the knowledge to be able to help you, but they may not have the knowledge necessary to be prepared themselves. And you might find that someone is able to help you better because at least you have the tools that are necessary to do basic maintenance. You may be somewhere and somebody may simply not have access to their stuff because of where they are. Maybe they're traveling. You never know who that stranger whose kindness you're depending upon is going to be. And even if I have my own tools, if you have yours, I have more to work with. So I think even if you're not exactly sure how to use things, these are one of those things that it really makes sense to have. So a good basic toolkit, and just this is a good way to think about this. You know, look at your vehicle. And again, even if you're not the mechanically inclined person, learn to at least open the hood and check the oil and check your fluids and stuff like that. And look at all the stuff. And say, if I had to get that off or tighten that up or unscrew that or whatever, what would I need to do that? And make sure your kid at least has that level of stuff in it. Be careful about like going to Walmart and seeing a little ratchet set with some screwdrivers and all and buying that thing. They actually are pretty useful, and I'd rather have it than not. There's a couple things you have to watch out for. There's a lot of times there's some stuff in there you really should have that's not there. So maybe one of those kits kind of makes a good base. But the other thing is a lot of times those kits... Things like the screwdrivers in them are so cheaply made that you take like a number two Phillips, which everybody should have number two Phillips, and you put it into a screw that's pretty tight and you turn it and the freaking plastic handle just breaks off of the metal part of the screwdriver. At least you have a pair of pliers, maybe you can grab onto that metal and maybe it'll turn without stripping the screwdriver, who knows. But decent quality, it doesn't have to be perfect quality. One of the uh, the kind of the tool brands that uh, that's it's really pretty good quality and you know sells for about the same price as the Walmart junk does would uh, would be like uh, Cobalt uh, through uh, Lowe's and I, I think they're kind of phasing that out a bit as they've absorbed the Sears Craftsman brand but those would be you know both pretty good um, lower tier uh, items to look at for your toolkit. And make sure your toolkit, if you have multiple pieces to it, it's kind of all together. We're going to talk toward the end about how to be able to do this stuff and have everything organized and be able to actually keep all this stuff without you know, having to have the kids ride on the roof. But a basic toolkit. Next, a cell phone charging kit. Notice I didn't say a cell phone charger. Cell phone charging kit. This is all the stuff you need to make sure that your cell phones stay active for as long as absolutely possible, especially if you're stranded somewhere. Because it's your number one means of communication and information gathering. So number one, you need charging cords. You know, it's like, that's an S. To me, this is, you know, kind of a fallback to the number three. One, two is one, one is none, and three is for me. A minimum of three charging cords. So if you own a, a, a iPhone, then you should have three lightning cables minimum somewhere in your vehicle. One could be the one that's plugged into the charger that's always there, that's always on, that you always attach your phone to when you get in your vehicle. That's fine. If you have the little anchor charger that I have and it's got two USB ports and you have two plugged into it, that's two. That's good. One more somewhere in the console, in the glove box, in your electronics kit, whatever. But have a third one. 
I think whatever phone you don't have, your, your common micro USB, you should have at least one of those for other people that you might end up relying on. At least one, two is even better. So at least three of the primary and one of the second. So if you have, if you don't have an iPhone and you're like a screw a lightning cable, since so many people do, you should probably have at least one. You should have a backup battery, at least one per vehicle. Uh, the Anchor uh, battery backups are the ones I recommend. Um, I'll try to put some of the links in the show notes today for you, uh, to items that I've reviewed and items just on Amazon so you can check them out. But, you know, I, I recommend the Anchor Power Core line because they work so good and because they have such reserve capacity. Uh, the one I recommend for iPhone users will allow you to charge an iPhone seven times from dead, from one charge. If you keep that thing in your vehicle fully charged, if you're gone that long, you've got other problems. that You can't you know, ration your phone time and all through seven full charges. So um, that's why I recommend that. But some backup battery and a reliable one with some capacity to it. The little ones that are about the size of a cigarette lighter that will charge your phone like halfway once. You know, if you have one of those because you keep it in your laptop bag as a last-ditch emergency, that's fine. In your vehicle, have something that can charge your phone at least three times, reliably so. Um, so there's, to me, a charging kit, right? Not just I have a charger and a cord. That, that's better than nothing, but it's not good enough. Next up, I combine these two even though they seem very different, but I did it because I felt like it had to be on the list. I didn't want to take two spaces for it. And one may apply to you and not the other. Both may apply to you or neither may apply to you. This is the one that some people just go, not my thing. I don't need to worry about this. But child care items and a dog slash pet kit. So if you are a dog owner, there should be a leash and at least an extra collar. Plus maybe a little bit of food and one of those collapsible water dishes, things like that for your dog. Um, it is always possible that your dog slips a collar or something like that. And you have to go looking for him, and you panic, so you just jump in your car, run down the road, and you get your dog, but he doesn't even have a collar. Now, if you have, especially like a choker, you know, a choke chain or a choke lead in your vehicle, when a dog's upset, I don't like to use choke, chokers more than I have to, but in that situation, once I get that dog back, I don't want potential for them to get away. If I am somewhere and I have to have my dog with me, like Charlie, he's a very aggressive dog, and somebody has an idiot dog they can't control and it's provoking him, I know that dog can slip a collar. I'm going to be relying on a choker. So I want to make sure that that's there. If you have kids, then, you know, how old are they and what have you. So that's why I kind of left it up to you to figure this out. If you have kids in diapers, you need extra diapers and things to deal with kid poop and kid pee uh, there. And if you have kids that have chronic bloody noses, then you need to have Kleenex and stuff like that. So exactly what you need to make sure that, at any point in time, you can see to your kids or your pets, that's on you, but that should be on your list of things as a punch list. Uh, next up today is a first aid kit. Now, this is one of those ones where I do have redundancy. I do think you should have a first aid kit in your bug out bag, but I think having one in your vehicle is a great idea as well because the thing about a lot of first aid supplies is you can only carry so much, and once you use something, you can't really use it again. Some stuff we can use more than once, but like gauze and stuff like that. Uh, even just simple over-the-counter medications like ibuprofen or Tylenol, Benadryl, stuff like that. Once you take it, you don't, you can't just like spit it out and use it again. So it's something you're going to rely on consistently. And I also believe the first aid kits are one of those types of things that at some point you may have to hand one off. 
So I really think that the redundancy of first aid kits is a good way to go. As to what goes in it, uh, I'll put it this way. It needs to be more than you're going to get from the 101-piece first aid kit at Walmart. Uh, that Of the 101 pieces, 90 of them are 90 different Band-Aids. It probably doesn't need to be a full-on, you know, field surgical hospital kit unless you are, you know, some medical professional knows how to use all that stuff. But remember what I said as well. Things like pressure dressings, tourniquets, even uh, some more advanced uh, first aid equipment, if you can get your hands on it, may be something that you can let somebody else use that happens to be there. Uh, there you know, if you think about it this way, there are millions of people in this country that are doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, paramedics, people with advanced medical training that are just civilians. Uh, that have, have taken advanced medical training in one form or another, emergency medical technicians, etc. So having that gear available may be uh, something that would allow someone who knows what to do but doesn't have the equipment themselves able to help. So I'm not going to get deep into what goes in a first aid kit here because uh, we should probably do a show. We haven't done one in a long time on building first aid kits. But we want a decent first aid kit in the vehicle in addition to a more mobile first aid kit that we have in a bug out bag. Next, there's another uh, redundancy, flashlight. I, I, first of all, everywhere I go, I have a flashlight on me. Generally, it's a Streamlight Stylus Pro. I have my hand touching my pocket right now. I can feel my flashlight in there. If I put my hand there and I don't feel it, I'm like, where's my freaking flashlight? So you have, a, you know, you have a, an EDC flashlight. You should definitely have, I believe, two flashlights, minimum, in your bug out bag with additional batteries. I still think light is so important that you should have at least two flashlights in your vehicle. I like to carry a D-cell mag light in all my vehicles. Usually I keep it in the map door. And I'm just going to say that we're going to talk about clubs that aren't clubs as an item, but this can kind of be your second club that's not a club. If you smack somebody in the face with a 3D-cell mag light, I'm just going to say that it gets their attention. I'm going to say that I'm not a very violent person. I haven't hit a lot of people since I got out of high school anyway. Uh, but I had an occasion where um, I had somebody that was I felt very threatening trying to get into my vehicle through a window, and a D-cell mag light to the face works really good. Plus, it's a big light, right? It's easy to find. It's easy to feel it in the dark. Carry what you want, but I believe you should have one really good, reliable, full-size, handheld flashlight and additional batteries. The other thing, and this really just makes sense to go in a glove box. You should have at least, and I think one of these goes in your bug out bag too, by the way, one at least hands-free light. One that goes on near your head or one that clips onto the bill of a cap. I love the Thor uh, Firelight for, for caps. You don't always have a cap, right? I wear hats a lot, and I still don't always have a hat. So a headlight, to me, there's other ways that you can have light on you, but a headlamp will work, and a headlamp will work on your head. It'll also hang from the hood of a car that you have up when you're trying to work on it. So if, let's say, you, you kind of need light to stay in a specific spot because somebody's helping you, and you might look away to grab something, you can hang that light like an under-the-hood light. So if you have those two lights, I think you're in good shape. And again, at least one, at least one extra set of batteries for both lights. Uh, odds are they're going to use different batteries, uh, but even if they didn't use different batteries, not one extra set, one per light at minimum, and that's for all your lights. Um, 
with my bug out bag, I have two sets. And with my vehicle, I have two sets. It's up to you, but I say minimum of one. Uh, next up today is water. And somebody said, well, especially in the South, water, water, water everywhere. At least a couple gallons. Uh, I am back to my favorite water transportation system and water storage system are the big heavy-duty screw-top jugs like Arizona iced tea comes in by the gallon. Um, I've accidentally dropped full ones on the ground and not have them break. I'm not saying they won't break. I'm saying I've done it and they didn't. Um, they are designed to hold iced tea, which is highly acidic, so water, they're going to work really well for that. They're a nice size at a gallon. They're an efficient shape for a gallon. You know, Think about why they exist. They exist so that you know companies can sell uh, corn chip laden crap to people all over the world. They need to be able to fit in trucks. You need to be able to fit as many into a small space as possible, both for transportation and for shelf space. See, vendors compete for space on the shelf at the store. So if they make a big round thing, it's like the soda companies haven't figured this out yet, you can fit less of them in the same space as you can fit something that's kind of flattened on the edges. So they fit well, they store well, and a gallon something you can pick up and, and haul ass with. So at least a couple gallons of water in your vehicle. And water's one of those things that like, okay, well I have a couple gallons in my vehicle all the time, but now we're taking a trip, then you should have more. right? So some of this stuff... We increase, and maybe there's some things that we add when we're, we're, we're going on longer road trips or have potential for greater problems. But water, period. And water is so important beyond just, well, you need to drink. Um, how about you you driving down the road and uh, you get into like a bug storm? It doesn't happen as much as you used to, but I remember one year, man, I was driving through Oklahoma on a long road trip, and the grasshoppers, I, I could barely see through the window, And the only thing that kept me able to drive was the squirty juice, right? Your little blue juice that comes out of your, uh, your windshield washer stuff. Um, eventually, you know, it can run out. And, and, and uh, the washer fluid, and I believe you should, the, the stuff with the antifreeze in it that's orange, it tastes like crap so cats don't drink it and die. That's what you really should use. But, you know, you might be a long way from a store. At least with water, you can fill it up with some of that. And keep your window clean. There's other things you might need water for other than just drinking, uh, cleaning wounds, uh, getting dust and crap out of your eyes. Somebody has some sort of a chemical exposure to their eyes, flushing with water. That can save vision or reduce pain or both at times. So water has just this myriad of uses. Uh, some things, if you're cooking food, you might need some water. Making coffee. Who can survive without coffee? You might need. So water, get two gallons is an absolute minimum. Uh, I generally usually keep a few um, bottles of water as well. And uh, for that, I generally have the stainless steel or aluminum plastic screw top stuff, that, that just a standard, like, you know, your eco-friendly water bottle. Uh, or the plastic ones, I can't remember what they're, uh, Nalgene bottles, like those are good too. But I like the aluminum ones. I like the aluminum ones because if you ever really get in a pinch, they can be used for cooking, right? So... Uh, I like those. They keep your water safe. They keep it from leaking. Uh, if somebody sits on it in the back seat because they didn't know it was there, it doesn't pop open like the ones you buy in a store, and they're refillable. Uh, but e even a couple just uh, regular cheap old, you know, 96-cent water bottles from the convenience store uh, in your vehicle in addition to a couple gallons, good for quick, easy drinking, and also, again, refillable even if it's a store-bought one. So water, water, water. Next up, I think that even though everybody's vehicle has a radio in it, You really should have a radio in your vehicle. 
And I think it makes sense to have the kind that can run on batteries and or can be cranked up to run if the batteries die in it. So at least last-ditch effort, you can understand what's going on around you. So a good quality NOAA radio with a weather channel alert on it in addition to AM, FM. Um, if it also charges by solar, great. But my experience has been most of them that do all three don't do any of the three well. If you find one that does fine, uh, but the, the, the Grundig... Uh, radios that, that are crank and batteries, those things seem to be pretty bulletproof. They have good reception. It's what I rely on. It's what I would recommend. So a weather radio. Uh, I kind of put this next two together again to try to make sure we got everything on the list we wanted to. But blankets and or tarps. Um, I think even you know a, a nine foot tarp uh, and a decent blanket in your trunk or your toolbox of your pickup or behind the seat. Those two things at least, there's so many things that we can fabricate with that. We can keep people warm. Uh, I also look at your blankets and tarps as adjuncts to um, your first aid kit. I can use a tarp to help keep somebody alive with a sucking chest wound if I have to, right? Um, so there's that. I mean, blankets, treatment for shock, keeping the person warm, keeping their, their, their feet elevated, things like that. So blankets, I think, make a lot of sense. And they're just a general... Good idea for a comfort item. I talked about kids earlier. Well, when kids are bitchy, just to be blunt, sometimes a nap is what they need. And a blanket, even if it's not cold, sometimes kids, it's like the Band-Aids with kids. Like the kid, I hear myself. And you're like, that's not even a red mark. I need a Band-Aid. And you're like, fine. So you give them a, like a Snoopy Band-Aid and they put it on and they're happy. Right? So sometimes... That's how like a pillow and a blanket works. So for legitimate needs and sometimes just to appease the, the child demon, right, the, the, the blanket I think is incredibly important. And again, it's one of those things that you won't really understand how useful it is until you need it. So one of the things I think that I need to say here as we're about halfway through this is it's a good idea to have all this stuff in your vehicle and store it and every once in a while just kind of look at it and think, what can I do with that? Because there, I, there are situations where you've read reports and, you know, the person had everything they needed to, to mitigate their situation and they didn't use it because they never thought, well, this can also do this other thing. Right? So, blankets and tarps. Next up today, road flares and, or signal lights and other signaling devices. So, this is actually a pretty broad thing. Uh, a guy named Chris was in there just constantly. Red handkerchief. Red handkerchief. Red handkerchief. The red handkerchief gets to go in this list like for tying off the things that stick out the back of your vehicle and things like that. Plus, yes, handkerchiefs do other things. But uh, road flares and or like battery-powered uh, road hazard lighting, the ones that look like little triangles and stuff like that. The, the battery ones are the ones that I have. Um, road flares are useful, too. Um, I like the battery ones because they're reusable. Uh, you can carry extra batteries for them, so you get a lot more time. I like road flares because they make fire. But I would go to my battery-powered ones first. I, I, I don't want to make this show too long by telling a story that I've told before, but I can tell you that uh, I've been in situations with people broke down on the side of the road where not having the ability to kind of warn people well in advance, hey, there's a wreck up ahead, uh, has made the situation very dangerous. So being able to put out markers, most people are not as stupid as we think they are. And most people, when they start seeing like those types of markers out, they start to slow down. That makes bad situations at least a little safer. 
So I think that's very important. But anything that you can use to signal um, that either you have a problem or you want people to avoid you or whatever would go into this group of things. Next up, and this is one that I think, you know, back in the 80s, I think you would have been hard-pressed to find many vehicles, unless it was like a kid's first vehicle and he only had it for a couple weeks before his dad like had to talk with him about some basic preparedness, to find anybody who didn't have one. And today, because of the magic that is the cell phone and everything that comes with it, almost nobody does. Maps. I think that you should have a good quality, like Rand McNally or something like that, uh, map book. I don't like the kind of fold-out ones because they're a pain in the ass. You get the laminated ones that are okay, but basically it's like an atlas but just for your state so that you can turn to an individual page. You see your side roads and stuff like that. You should have, if you live in Texas, you should have one for Texas. And then you should have, at minimum, additionally, you should have a national atlas, one that has the whole country in it. If you live in another part of the world, you're one of our international listeners, you adjust that to your own particular needs. Additionally... For me, I have one for Arkansas, one for Louisiana, and one for uh, Oklahoma. Don't have no one for New Mexico. It's probably not going to be part of any kind of a uh, any kind of a, a bug out scenario or immediate need scenario uh, that would not be sufficiently handled uh, with a national atlas. Because where are you going to draw the line? You need to think for yourself. If, if you live in if you live in Florida uh, and, and any journey north. Uh, out of your state is is almost 100% going to be Georgia. Then maybe you have Florida, Georgia, and a national. But we, again, vehicles, you should just have maps in them. Like, you could just, like, hey, man, you got a map? I got one in my car. I mean, it was like everybody had a flipping map. And and now, I mean, it's, it's wonderful that you can be like, uh, hey, Siri, I need directions to Philadelphia. And she'll be like, getting directions to Philadelphia. Beginning route. And that's, that's I don't have anything bad to say about that except that sometimes Siri says I'm sorry Jack I can't help right now for whatever reason or your phone got lost or your phone got broken or you didn't listen to me and your phone's dead you know I mean having a map is so valuable one of the things that maps do I think as well that that your map application on your phone just can't compete with the size of it alone is help with planning when it's not simply, I just want to go here. But, like, I can't get there this way. What are my options? Being able to sit down, you know, if you are on kind of a, a road trip that's gone awry or something like that, be able to sit down with a partner and both of you kind of, you know, over each other's shoulder and sit down and look at that and figure out your different options. That, I think, is where a, a printed map has so much more utility. And minimum, your state plus your national atlas. Um, and if you think about it, like it sounds like a lot of stuff, but all the stuff we've said right now, we don't have to put the kids on the roof yet, do we? Okay? Uh, next up, what I would call lashing, tying, etc. kit. Things to hold things together. And it's up to you what you want, but here's some things that I recommend you consider. Tape, specifically duct tape. Tie wraps. Wire, cordage, Velcro, whatever. Um, I use extensively stainless steel wire on my property for 
um, creating trellises and stuff like that for my plants. It doesn't rust. It damn near lasts forever. It, it's the stuff that's made for electric fencing. You get a great big spool of it for you know twenty bucks or something like that. My friggin' two miles or something like two and a half miles. I think this pool. And because uh, it's designed, you cut it out and along, and you for fence lines, right? Took up to a fence charger, and you can get aluminum. That's even cheaper, and it's not as strong, but it's it's strong enough. So for each of my vehicles, one of the things I do, I'll take one of those rolls and I'll, I'll roll up, you know, a good 20 feet of that stuff around my hand, like it's a string. Cut it with a pair of cutters and kind of flatten it out. And it takes up almost no space. Just don't bend a crease into it when you kind of flatten out your your bent. And it's so multifunctional. Tard Bank Line is, I, I recommend, the Catahoula uh, brand is the only Tard Bank Line I think that's made anymore that's actually Tard Bank Line. If it doesn't have tar on it, it's not Tard Bank Line. I know that sounds rudimentary, but everything that I've ever seen called Tard Bank Line that isn't Catahoula is black string. That's not tar. Hope one of the tars it makes bind up really well when you tighten it. Parachute cord something preppers love. I like parachute cord myself, but I think that there's more utility in tarred bank line. Tie wraps. I recommend the removable tie wraps. I've seen things as, as crazy as a tie rod end temporarily fixed with tie wraps. I don't recommend it. The guy that did it almost got his ass beat by being a friend because he didn't tell us he had done it, and we took his vehicle on a beer run. But it did. I have to say that it did work. If you don't know what a tie rod is, look it up, and you'll see why we're so pissed. It's literally the part that keeps the wheel, the front wheel, from like just turning to the side, left or right. It's important. Um, so, but I mean, tie wraps—the stuff that binds things together—can solve so many problems. Here's an example. Uh, this is way back, way back in the day, as they say. Um, I was uh, at a friend's place, uh, kind of lived on a dirt road and stuff like that. I had this old-ass car, right? It was a uh, Mustang too, right? The Pinto's big brother. And the, one of the exhaust components on it kind of just fell as dragging this road. And just, you know, some bailing wire and wire it up. I mean, is that a permanent repair? No, But it gets you home, or it gets you to the shop. So you definitely want stuff to do that with. Um, this is one that's maybe not for everybody, but I think it really makes sense if you have any mechanical capability whatsoever. And that's spare common parts and that, that can go wrong on your vehicle, and specifically the ones that can make your vehicle not go anymore. And the most obvious ones, to me anyway, are belts and hoses. So... Most vehicles, not all, but most vehicles have an upper and lower main hose for your cooling system, in and out the radiator, right? And one of the things I think it really makes sense to do is you you replace those before you need to. So if you have a brand new vehicle and you're going to keep it long, long term, maybe around like thirty six thousand to fifty thousand miles somewhere in there, just replace your 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 main hoses. Don't throw away your old ones. They're probably fine. Store them in your vehicle somewhere. That way if one gets a, a hole or something that can't be repaired as a field-level repair, you've got a spare right there. And then your belts. Um, most vehicles today, newer vehicles seem to have what they call a serpentine belt. It's one main belt that does all of the belt functions. This is what, like, spins stuff around in your engine for you uninitiated folks. Uh, it runs things like your air compressor for your air conditioner, your alternator that charges your battery, stuff like that. 
Um, the beauty of serpentine belts is you only have one belt. The negative thing is if it goes, nothing works. car will not run. Um, but you either replace that at scheduled maintenance uh, or maybe a little bit earlier and keep the old one or go ahead and purchase, even when your vehicle's new, brand new belts and hoses right away. Put them in your vehicle. When scheduled maintenance comes up, you already have them. You've already paid for them. It's already amateurized. It's already taken care of itself. By the way, if something breaks when you're on the road, you already have the part. And if it doesn't break, and you even if you don't do the work and you get it replaced yourself, just say, I want to keep them. And that way you always have a spare and a backup without any real additional cost. All right? Um, on that note as well, I mean, it is possible that one day you'll be on a road trip And you'll have your shit break down someplace where the best you can do is like Cooter's Garage from the Dukes of Hazard, And the guy said, yep, you need a belt. Well, Tom's parts is closed. Nah, he ain't going to be back till Monday. He don't work Sundays. It's good. 50, 60 miles to town where they have them. I'll order one, get you for it by Monday morning, get you staying here. You don't want to stay at Cooter's. But even if you don't know how to do it, you go, hey, Cooter, what's that? I got I got one of those belt things you're talking about in my trunk. Well, why didn't you say so? I'll put it on for you. That type of thing, right? So I think even if you don't necessarily know how to do the replacement yourself, maybe you should learn or maybe you should just have them so that you are more likely to be able to get help from the kindness of others or even if it's paid for. Uh, next, I think fluids for your vehicle. Uh, you don't have to have a great deal, but a quart of the oil that your vehicle uses, uh, power steering fluid, uh, transmission fluid, uh, brake fluid. Those are your main ones, and water that you should have for other reasons, like for a battery and what have you. Uh, if you have that, you can probably at least limp along. If they would help you at all, they'll help you at least limp along to where you can get some additional help. And that's one of those things that you really want to think about um, – learning about how to check fluid levels, how to add fluid, etc., and where it all goes in your vehicle. You know, what is a master cylinder? For those of you who don't know, it's really important. It's where your brake fluid goes so the hydraulics on your brakes work so that, like, when you step on that particular pedal, that, like, the brakes actually squeeze around the rotors and the car actually, like, stops and stuff. So if you actually have um, low brake fluid, you can have very poor braking performance. It probably means you have a leak and you need to have it fixed. But in many instances, unless it's like pouring out somewhere, if it slowly got low over time uh, and you catch it, uh, it's probably safe if you are aware that there's an issue potentially here to then get back to a shop instead of sitting waiting four and a half hours for AAA. Uh, to tow you to a place where you could have driven to yourself in 15 minutes. That This is the importance here. So I don't know if this exists. I mean, what I would say back in the day is just tell your old man to show you how all this works. Uh, but a lot of times now even the old man doesn't know how it works. The old man, I'm saying old people my age 50, and didn't learn this from their old man when they were a kid or whatever. So I don't know. It, but a lot of areas I think now have classes for like basic vehicles. Uh, you know, like vehicle uh, understanding, I don't know if it's maintenance, like vehicle understanding 101, how to change a spare tire, how to check your fluids and stuff like that. Or find somebody that you know through your family and friends that's maybe a mechanic or something to say, you know, show me what I should do and, and learn to do this stuff and have the stuff to make sure that you can. Now, the next one, you 
there are times when waiting for a tow truck is what you should do. Or waiting for someone that knows how to do things with you. You can get hurt trying to recover a stranded vehicle if you don't know what you're doing. Even if you do know what you're doing and you follow all safety practices, you can still get hurt. One of my responsibilities in the Army is I was a wrecker operator in addition to a mechanic. So if a vehicle got stuck, I would take either a Hemet wrecker or a five-ton wrecker out and, and extract that vehicle. And you get a lot of training, and your number one thing you're trained with is safety. Because you're, trying, you're moving multi-ton vehicles using other multi-ton vehicles, and when things that big move, they can and do go on top of people and make them dead. So I want you to realize that just because you have something like a winch doesn't mean that you know how to use it. So I just left this generically low extraction kit because a lot of times vehicles that are stranded can be gotten out fairly easily with something like a come-along. It's a come-along. It's kind of like a manual winch in a way. It's got some cables, and you hook it on a one really heavy thing that won't move, and then you hook it onto another heavy thing that will move. And there's got like a jack and ka-ching, ka-ching, kind of like a giant ratchet strap, right? A giant ratchet strap. And there's a lot of situations I've seen where, you know, there people are digging and shoving stuff under tires and whatever, and you pull up on them, they're trying to get this vehicle out, and it's just like, it's right, you really, doesn't even really look stuck, but it is, it just won't go. You know, and you throw a come-along on it, ka-tink, ka-tink, and the guy gives a little bit of gas, boom, right out. Uh, a hijack often, and that's something I really don't want to get deep into, but it's, you can look up what they are. They're called a hijack. A lot of times those are not just able to lift a vehicle, but may actually be able to extract a vehicle. A good jack a lot of times will be able to simply, if you can get somewhere safe where the jack's not going to sink in the ground, which the jack that came with your vehicle absolutely will, but the good floor jack, the one with your tire kit, might not. But simply by lifting up the vehicle, then you can get something under the tires so the vehicle can get traction and move out. I mentioned ratchet straps. I have seen at least one situation where we were able to get somebody out by using the tension in a simple ratchet strap. And I was like fairly large, like the four-inch wide ratchet straps. It was actually one that my old man uh, used to hold pallets on a flatbed truck because he does a used pallet business. Uh, but able to get a vehicle out with some pushing and that extra tension from that ratchet strap and out, out this old Monte Carlo came from its, from its mired depths of hell. So there's lots of different ways that you can extract a vehicle, but one of the things that you probably want to make sure that's part of your extraction kit is a shovel. And a shovel has so many other uses it's really worth having. Again, I have something in here about clubs that aren't really clubs. A shovel would be in another one of those. I think the best thing for this use is what's called an e-tool. And I would get an actual military-issue three-way folding e-tool. They have the old ones that you can still find a surplus sometimes that have a wooden handle. And what's nice about them is they'll kind of turn so when you tighten them, they have like a shovel on one side that's more like a mattock, and they have like a pick on the other where you turn them all the way down, and now they're like a little hand shovel. Um, those are good, but the majority of them that you'll see are not actually World War II surplus, or I think they were made even into the Korean War, and uh, they're actually junk, and they will probably break on you. Uh, a lot of the three-way folders that fold up in a little plastic triangle case are also junk, but they're a little bit easier to find uh, on the surplus market and what have you, and they are really, really great. And you can move a lot of dirt with them. 
and they will also kind of lock down so they're more kind of like a matic, but they don't usually have a little pick side going to them. Uh, either of those is fine. Or even, you know, you go to the hardware store and you buy yourself one of those little shovels. They look like a, like a, like a, a typical spade shovel, except they're, you know, they're about two feet long. Um, one of each is not out of the question. Both of those are really, really useful. I mean, if you have a full-size truck with a tool rack and everything on it, you want to carry around a regular full-size shovel, that's a great idea, too. You know, with, with, might as well have a mattock in there as well. Um, but most of us aren't going to be able to do that with our standard everyday drivers. But a shovel, and again, a shovel allows you to do a lot of other things. Uh, it's very uh, useful in the fabrication of shelters and things like that as well. So it's not just for the extraction kit. Um, obviously, the best thing for an extraction kit is a good, high-quality winch and the knowledge that goes along with it on the front of your vehicle. Again, not a, I'm not going to put one on my 4Runner. It's not an off-road vehicle. It's designed for my wife to take my grandkids around. Right? And she wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. Um, but, you know, if I spent more time in it, maybe I would put one on it. Uh, there are also kind of, um, you would call them like temporary winches, portable winches, what have you, that aren't designed to be permanently mounted, uh, especially that would fit in like the toolbox of a truck. If you don't want to kind of have a winch on there, uh, that may or may not be useful depending on the situation you're in. Uh, but it, that would allow you to do things like, well, I don't know, put the winch on the back side of the vehicle instead of the front, which sometimes might be what's really necessary. Okay. Uh, lastly, a toe strap. A good quality nylon, you know, four inch hooks toe strap. Because uh, even if, you know, you're not going to tow somebody down the road, that's another thing that often, uh, if you have a good quality toe strap, you can extract somebody and get them out of a simple, I'm stuck situation. Next up, notepad. Some sort of a notepad. I keep a journal for other things, so that's my notepad. But something you can write on and more than one piece of paper, right? With pens, S pens, and pencils. Uh, there is a, a joke, I can't remember what comedian said it, but he said something about that, that when you go to heaven, you get back everything you lost, and like the guy's going to be like, here's 9,981 pens. right? So pens get lost, they also stop working. So pens and pencils. So that way you have two different types of writing implements, um, Good for keeping notes, good for making plans, good for making lists, good for morale, uh, all types of things. Good for writing letters, leaving behind a note for somebody. I do everything on my phone. Great. Can you leave a note with that? Well, I'll send a text. Well, if you could send a text in a situation, you wouldn't be leaving on foot and hoping somebody finds you. You'd be calling someone to come get you. You see what I'm saying? So the fact that if you did have to abandon your vehicle for whatever reason, you could leave a note, I'm heading in this direction, this is the date and time that I left, this is my current situation, this is my plan. Now, if, if Search and Rescue finds your vehicle, that letter tells them you went east, you think you're going here, you really are going here or you're not. It may be the case that they can radio someone else who can come in from a different place and find you more quickly. You would also want to leave with something like that. Well, this is the stuff I have with me. This is my signaling devices I have with me, right? This is how plan how long I plan to walk this first day. Now, these are kind of the more extreme situations, but we plan for the worst and hope for the best. So definitely have a way to make notes, leave notes, make lists, stuff like that, and have more than one damn pen. Uh, next, a jumper set of jumper cables and or a jumper pack. Stephen Harris, K 
can rant until he's blue in the face. Stephen Harris can get so upset about jumper packs that he has a triple aneurysm and a heart attack. I don't care. Jumper packs can and do work. I've seen them work. None of and this is why he doesn't like them. None of them are great. None of them are perfect. None of them are something I would trust my life on, but I would rather have it than not. A good set of jumper cables, long ones that can reach between vehicles, that can't pull right next to each other, fantastic idea, plus a jump pack. I believe in both. Two is one and one is none. Um, jumper cables are the type of thing that allow you to ask someone to be a good Samaritan and to be a good Samaritan. I have more than once been at a, you know, a store or something like that and saw somebody and you, you see the hood up and the standing there and their hands on the hips and, and you know, right? It's, it's nine out of ten times, it's one of two things. They're out of gas or they have a dead battery. Hey, what's up, man? You got a dead battery? Yeah, I got jumper cables. I, I've done that at least a couple times a year for the past 20 years. Right, and I've also been, you know, it, how I don't know why if I don't know why my vehicle died, but it died. Hey, buddy, could you give me a jump? Yeah, I'd like to, but I don't have cables. I got cables. I just need another vehicle. Uh, so to me, there is a ton of utility beyond that that we won't get into today. The jumper cables allow you to do, you know, and now I have a Stephen Harris battery bank and a toolbox in the back of my truck, so. One of the batteries is charged, so I can chump myself from my own battery bag if I have to. Um, that's nice as well. So make sure that your cables are long enough to reach uh, a lot of the cheap jumper cables that you buy at Walmart or what have you. If your jumper cables are $14, they're, they're wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. If I have those or nothing in a parking lot at a Walmart... I might even have to wait for somebody to come move their vehicle so somebody can help me. I'd rather have that. Of course, then I could go in and buy a good set, right? Okay, but if that's all I have, then I'd rather have it than not have it. But if I'm making a plan, they're not what I want. You want good quality, heavy gauge, long jumper cables with good quality um, grippers on them, clamps on them. Also, make sure you understand how to jump a vehicle properly. I'm not going to even try to explain that in a podcast, but the biggest thing to do is, you know, if you take a good battery and you hook up your, your, your black to your negative and red to your positive, take the other two and put them together and make big sparks, you're basically arc welding. Um, I tend to clip one to the other uh, on the insulation so that they don't accidentally touch. I guess there's a risk that you could get through the insulation, but if you have good ones, that's not going to happen. But just make sure that you know what you're doing when you hook vehicles up, what order to hook them up in, and what order to unhook them up in. You'll make your life much safer and much likely, less likely to electrocute yourself or burn yourself or both. Um, next, extra food in your vehicle that's temp-stable for where you live. So this is another redundancy. I think there should be extra food in your bug-out bag. But your vehicle is just, with what we talked about today, You don't again, the kids don't have to go on the roof to make this happen. So there is room in the vehicle for more than you can carry in a bug-out bag. And it's possible that you're going to be the person that saves the day with extra food. And I'm not talking about survival. I'm talking about happiness and comfort. You know, again, your vehicle is usually, for most people, sitting in the parking lot at work every day. It's at your friend's house when you go visit them. 
So having that extra food, if you get stuck somewhere, here's an example. Here's an actual example. Back when the whole Tea Party thing first started up, and I thought it might actually be a libertarian movement, and it wasn't, um, they had a rally uh, at a park in Arlington, Texas. And my wife and I thought, well, you know, and I just started the show and all, too. And it was important to me to know what was going on. So we're like, well, we'll go to this thing. So after hearing a pre preacher lecture us about the sin of sodomy, when we were there to talk about taxation, and having Rick, Rick Perry, the governor of Texas at the time, show up and give the same speech I'd seen him give on TV three hours earlier and a bunch of other crap, uh, we decided that there was no hope for the Tea Party. And it was time to leave. Well, the one thing that was successful about this thing is it was a big rally. And it took, like, over an hour to get out of this park because of all the traffic that was leaving. We put the tailgate down, pulled out the little camp stove, pulled out a couple mountain house packages, got the jug of water, pulled out some beef jerky, you know, beefed up the mountain house with some beef jerky, grabbed a bag of chips, and we just sat there on the tailgate and watched all these people cussing and yelling on the way out. Were we... You know, we have been stranded and starving without it. No, but it it was fun. We got to test our preps. We ate pretty well. Mountain House is some pretty good stuff. You know, and we basically had a picnic while everybody else was miserable. By the time we were done eating, we just fired the truck up and left. So that extra food can be keeping the kids happy. It can be something like that. Or it can be really, really important if you end up stranded for a couple of days because it's always something that can happen. I think it's amazing how many people don't even think about the fact that they drive through places, maybe even just a couple times a year, that if they broke down on one particular point, they might be there for a day or more. Maybe no one's coming to help them. It happens, right? We have roads, you know, good paved roads that sometimes you don't see another vehicle on for hours or more. Something goes wrong, and those you know that's why you're stuck there, but it shuts down traffic. And, and believe it or not, during an emergency, and we're going to pretend your name is Tom Smith, the whole country's not like, you know what? Tom Smith is missing. Let's all go find Tom. Like, during an emergency, they're worried about so many people, maybe nobody realizes Tom's missing, and you're just going to be there a while. So that food can be really, really important. Uh, next, I've kind of alluded to this a couple times, but I think that like if you own a truck, your easy answer for this is what's called a tire billy. This is basically like a little handhold bat with a lanyard on it. And truck drivers use them. And what they're for is to see if your tires are flat, right, when you have like dualies. Because you could have a, you know, when I say dually, you've got two tires on each side of an axle. So if one's filled up, Until there's weight on it, you don't know the other one's flat. Okay, so you'll see a truck driver get out with his tire billy and he'll hit his tires all the way around his, you know, his 10 wheeler, right? Or on his trailer as well, whatever. And uh, the reason for this is there are certain places where something that is indeed considered a club but isn't itself illegal to have in your vehicle. Well, a tire billy's not a club, it's a tool. If you have a truck, even if it's not got dualies on it, mine doesn't, well, why do you have this? I've never been asked the question, but if I, if I ever were, sometimes I pull trailers. I think you should have something that stands in as a club, as a last-ditch weapon, or possibly for the utility that it provides as well, that's not, that doesn't look like a weapon. That can't be labeled a weapon by an overzealous law enforcement officer or something like that. You know what works really good? 
a baseball bat. Well, what's that for? Oh, my kid plays t-ball. Luckily, I had it when this guy tried to assault me, and I beat the shit out of him with it. But it's my kid's t-ball bat. It's not a club. Right? So something that you can use as a club that isn't a club, I think, is a good thing to have as a defensive tool in your vehicle. Uh, next, cash. I think it makes a lot of sense to have at least $100. I know some people are like, dude, I do not have an extra $100. You talk about some extra cash at home, some extra cash in my, in, in my bug out bag, and some extra cash in my vehicle, and some in a safe deposit box in my, you know, my brother's town, and I don't have enough money for the safe deposit box, let alone to put any inside of it. Okay, fine. I understand. I think you need to get your financial life together, but I get it. Assuming that you don't have that problem, at least $100, In your vehicle, somewhere where only you can find it. Little bag, put away, maybe taped, put somewhere where you can get it. Don't forget about it when you trade the vehicle in. Um, exactly where, I'm not going to say. I keep some cash in my vehicles. The last thing I need to do is advertising to 200,000 people. Oh, here's where I keep my cash in my vehicle. Um, but find a place that works for you. I'll give you an example from you know back in the day. and It wasn't even that good, but it worked really great. Because uh, I even got searched by a cop one time because uh, he asked if he could, and I was dumb enough back then. I was so young that I said, sure. Um, but uh, I had a pickup truck. It was like a 79 half-ton Chevy. It was either 79 or an 81. I don't remember. But um, it had you know old school, just narrow-ass steering wheel and all. And the horn cover, you could just grab it and it pulled off, and there was a little space in there. I just used to keep a 20 in there, right? Because that way I always had 20 bucks for extra gas or whatever. And since it was in there and I actually had to pull it off, even though it was easy to do, I was less likely to blow it on something. So that was more a mitigation of being 21 years old. Um, but today, it, it, I, you know, just wherever I am, I could need some cash. I try to keep some cash on me. I try to keep some cash in my bug out bag. But I keep a very small amount of cash in my bug out bag. And I'm going to tell you why. You can only do so much to hide it. And it is the kind of thing if somebody breaks in a vehicle, hey, look at that. Boom, they're going to grab that and haul ass with it. Okay? Um, one guy in the MeWe chat, this is actually really important, said, you know, when you buy, like, the wall tools and stuff like that, they often come with a really nice bag. And a lot of times you take that tool and then you put it in your garage. And you're like, I don't really need this bag for that tool because that tool now lives on this rack in my garage, you know, hanging on this hook. So I've got this really great heavy-duty nylon bag that says the Walt on it. Don't use that shit for vehicle kits. And he used my term, and I don't know if you heard it from me or heard it from somebody else, but I call it pawn shop yellow. DeWalt is, a, if you take DeWalt tools to a pawn shop, they will give you money. Right? It just, uh, it, it might not be as much as it's worth, but they will, you can get money for DeWalt tools. So I kind of lump everything into that, but that yellow is very well known to like car thieves and stuff. Don't use stuff that looks like for power tools and shit like that as a storage kit in your vehicle because it screams take me first. You know? If you got a lot of extra room, you don't have a kid that needs to ride on the roof or whatever, yeah, take one of those bags and fill it up with some really heavy shit and let them steal that and go limping down the road with a box of rocks or something. But other than that, just don't use it. Um, but definitely try to keep extra cash available for yourself. It you know, everybody takes cash, it always works, doesn't matter if the power's out. Uh, anything from being able to at least have a six-pack of beer and not hate your life that night because you can relax to being able to fill the gas tank up and get home extra cash. On top of that, spare keys. So I've talked to people, yeah, I keep a spare key, man. I keep it in my console of my car, hidden where nobody could find it. 
So when you lock yourself out of the car, how does that help you get in the car? You see the problem. So all I'm going to say is there is probably a way that you can get to some part of your vehicle that you will be able to access without being able to get inside your vehicle and get yourself like something to put it in and attach it in such a way that even if you drive so fast and hit a bump so hard that you knock your head on the roof of your vehicle and flatten your tire, it'll still be there and you can get a key that will get you into your vehicle. Right Now, one of the really great ideas that was passed around in the MeWe chat was some vehicles now have a key that comes with them, but the key that starts them is a chipped key. Um, or you have like a key fob that you don't even put a key in the ignition. And that key will open the door, but it will not start the vehicle. Okay? Um, odds are, if you can't get your keys, you've locked them in your vehicle... So that'll get you in your vehicle and get your keys back. I don't think that is a total replacement here. Here's an example of, of why. So in, effect, in, in, in addition to the fact that I have an extra key somewhere on my truck, um, when I go hunting with a friend, I will take an extra key and I will give it to him and say, put this on your keychain if I'm the driver. Because if I lose my keys... There's a key. I don't have to pull my extra one out, and I can just start the truck and go. Because imagine, like, being stuck, you know, seven-hour drive from home with no keys on a remote property where there's no locksmith that can get to you within a couple hours. And even when they do and you get home, how much is it going to cost you? An extra key that will actually start your vehicle. So if that means you need an extra fob or something like that because you have one of the modern vehicles, it's probably worth having. Uh, I would add to it that it probably makes sense to have um, the batteries for that fob, an extra one or two of those in your glove box. Some of them now, what they have is like a, a key that will mechanically start the vehicle, even though you don't generally need it. I like that better than some vehicles today that seem to be, from what I can tell, if there is no mechanical way to start the vehicle. It's all electric. I don't really like that, but... It may be where you are, and you need to know where you are and make sure that you have some other means of making your vehicle start, run, and open. All right. Next up, and I won't go into this at all today other than to say there's an episode I did years ago. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, about how to assemble this. It's called a documentation package. A man that was a 30-year-plus Marine Corps veteran who had just started listening to the show back then. I was in the hundreds of episodes. That's how, I mean, like 100 and something was what it was. Um, when I met him, he said that is the single most important episode you've ever done, and it may be to this, you know, he said it may be in, in, in the future still the most important one you ever do. And basically, it is a booklet that gives you all the information you need to get help, to get where you need to go, uh, to access your, your funds, etc. There's ways to keep all your information secure, even if somebody finds it, they won't really be able to use it. It'll tell you things like, here are the hotels that you would call uh, if you couldn't get home and you needed to bug out to a hotel room uh, instead of into a tent, right? It, it's everything. How to reach everybody in your family that you would ever want to get in touch with when your phone doesn't work and you can't you know, look them up because somebody took it away from you at a checkpoint. Who knows? Why? Right? That book, that documentation package must be in your vehicle. There should be an identical one in every vehicle in your home, uh, every vehicle in your household. 
and there should be an additional copy at your house. You do this on a computer, and when you make changes or additions, and like page 27 change, you print page the new 27 out, and you put a new page in each three-ring binder. And I don't, again, I don't want to go any further than that. You can listen to the old episode if you want to, but the big reason for that is, let's say that you have to bug out, and you're talking to your 17-year-old daughter who's freaking the hell out because she's at high school and she has to not come home. She has to go meet you somewhere. You can say, turn to page 5. See that right there? That's where you're going to go. That's where you're going to meet us. And all of a sudden, calm returns. Because you sound like you know what you're talking about because you do. Documentation package in the vehicle. Next up, we talked about a bunch of different uh, apps in the chat, like Glimpse, uh, like the advantages of, of having a Zello channel, uh, either being part of the TSP network where people can kind of reach out and help you. I think that most people should put together a Zello channel for your family because what inevitably happens in a crisis, uh, you call Sue, Sue asks Frank, blah, 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 right? So even if not everybody like hangs out on Zello in your family, you can send one mass text, I'm in trouble, need help. Jump on Family Zello channel now. Wait a couple seconds and jump on your Family Zello channel. Uh, this is me, who else is here? You can even look and see by username, everybody that's there. And then when you're asking for help and someone can help that's on the channel, instead of asking somebody to ask somebody or not knowing who knows what, everybody's communicating at the same time. Glimpse is an app that allows others to see where you are. And there's a lot of other really great apps that can aid you during travel. I really recommend that you find ones that work for you. If they involve your family, that you at least discuss them, install them on their phone. Even if they don't use them regularly, you show them the basics of how they work. Because it may, there may come a time where you need to get on the phone and say, Hey, look, I need you to pay attention to where I'm at. I'm really worried or whatever. And be able to communicate exactly where you are. If you've ever tried to explain to somebody where you are when you're really not sure, it's not easy. If you've ever tried to explain to somebody exactly where you are when you know, but they've never been there, it's really not easy. So there is so much utility that comes with apps. I, I probably should do a, a show someday like top, top 10 apps for preppers or something like that. I think I did one years ago, but there's so much available now that wasn't back then. Uh, maybe top 12, maybe top 15. I don't know. Um, but... Just know that there is a lot of utility available. Uh, one of the ones I like is called 5.0 Radio Pro. And it's basically a, a, a scanner app that allows you to listen to law enforcement, the sheriff's department, EMS, et cetera, for your area. Not every department's on there. Some, and one of the reasons that uh, a lot of uh, law enforcement actually like apps like that is because they can choose whether or not they're there in a lot of situations. Uh, where if somebody has open-air uh, scanning technology, they can get stuff that maybe they really prefer that you not to have. Um, but that's another example of a really great one. But these apps, unless you know how to use them or other people that you might depend on know how to use them, they're not valuable to you. So you need to make sure that other people know how to use them. And the last one um, is trash bags. I think trash bags are one of the most utilitarian tools that preppers can have in the world that we don't even think about. And what you want are contractor trash bags, the big ones. The ones for the great big garbage cans that are contractor grade, that are thick, that if you try to push your finger through them, you, you can't really get it done. 
Um, that's like having extra tarps and things like that. And at least a half a dozen of them. They take up almost no space when they're folded. And I'm going to give you one example of what you can do with a trash bag that no one thinks about that's incredibly valuable. Remember I said blankets? Let's say you have a couple blankets, and they take up more tra trunk space than you would prefer. So you think, I know. I'll go to Amazon and buy a space bag. Space bag, and I will put them in there, and I will put my vacuum cleaner in the little hole, the special valve, and they will, and they will shrink down to smaller than that. Okay, no, great. Now you spend extra money. You have a space bag, whatever the hell that means, and that space bag pretty much does one thing. Okay, if you just take a garbage bag, you can do it with any garbage bag. Again, I like contractor, and you put anything from clothes to blankets, pillows, you name it, inside that bag. And then you take your uh, attachment, you know, your kind of hose attachment from your vacuum, and then you put it in the top of the trash bag, and you grip around it, and you turn your vacuum on. It will suck down just like a space bag. When you get as much air out as you can, you kind of push on it, whatever. You give it a spin, and then tie it off with whatever you got. If you tie the bag itself, the problem with that is you're going to have to cut the bag to get it open. But if you use something like, hard bank line, you can probably cut that off without damaging the bag, at least without ruining the bag, and now you can still use the bag as a tarp, as a cover, as a container, as a poncho, right? But now it's multifunction. So now the thing that's making the clothing or the, the pillows or the blankets take up less space, it's also another thing. So that, again, what I want you to be able to do is think about how you can put all of this stuff we talked about in your vehicle today and do so in a way where the kid doesn't have to ride on the roof like Grandma did in um, vacation. Right? We don't want that uh, up on the roof, the kid on the you – know, he's in his car seat, officer. No, that doesn't work. right? We don't want the dog getting drugged behind like in the movie or anything like that. We want everybody comfortable in the vehicle. We don't want everybody to feel like there's no room left for us. Uh, one person said in, in uh, Zello ch uh, the Zello BeeWee chat that if you don't have room for your groceries, you have too much stuff in your vehicle for a daily driver situation. And, and I would tend to agree. Because um, nothing sucks more than have all this great gear and then just to put one more person in the vehicle to take it all out. And then you, when you actually need it, it's not there. It's all sitting on the garage floor or whatever. So think about how you can organize this. Um, milk crate style bins or rubber made tubs and just get as efficient as you can and know where everything is. And then I think the bigger thing is, and I'm bad about organization guys. If you've been to my garage, you know, um, but have the habit of when this thing is used and it's no longer needed, it goes back where it came from. And if you do that, you can keep a vehicle well-equipped like this with not much space. Let's just, if we go through a few of the things, like your, your tire kit, um, all of that shit can probably fit in the space allocated for the stuff that they give you. You just replace it with better stuff. So it doesn't really take up much space. A fuse kit, geez, that, that's a little tiny. It's like the size of a cigarette pack. It goes in your, uh, your glove box. A basic tool kit. Again, it doesn't have to be that big. It's maybe in a, a tub with some other gear in the trunk of the car. Cell phone charging kit. That should be your console, glove box, like, you know, in between the seats, whatever. Should be there anyway. Child care items, dog 
I mean, leashes, a couple diapers and stuff like that. If you have kids, you're probably carrying around a diaper bag or whatever if they're in that age frame anyway. If it's like stuff that's more for them, like their own little day bags or something, let them carry it. Let them take care of that. That way it's always there uh, and they're responsible for it. You know, again, dog stuff, you're, it's not much space. First aid kit, again, we're not talking about a hospital kit. We're talking about something about the size of a small Pelican case, generally. Flashlights, again, map pocket. And uh, uh, so I keep the big one in the, uh, the pocket in the door and a headlamp in the glove box. Water, that takes some space up, but a couple gallons isn't that much. Um, if you own a pickup truck, uh, it probably makes a lot of sense to at least consider a truck toolbox for it. That's where I keep a lot of my gear for my truck. Um, or at least maybe having like a Rubbermaid tub that goes in the back of the truck that's not really highly visible, that's strapped down and, and out of view, and put the less valuable things that you're less worried about being stolen back there. Bed covers help with that, etc. Um, you know, and the thing about pickup trucks is, you know, don't be afraid to have a couple Rubbermaid tubs. They kind of, if you have most people that have pickup trucks and not everybody, most are four door trucks or extended cabs, you know, those, those tubs go in your back cab most of the time. But if groceries need to go, kids need to go, whatever, pull them out, throw them in the back of the truck, and then just whip them back in when you park your truck to keep them secure. Um, weather radio, I mean, again, you're talking about a pretty small device. Blankets and tarps, you're talking about how to make them smaller. Road flares and signal lights, that, again, behind the truck seat uh, type stuff. Maps, Atlas, that could be able to go on your console. Uh, you're, you're lashing and tying gear and all, you know, you're talking about something that you're about the size of a beer bottle. If you, you bundle a couple different things together to accomplish that goal, um, common parts like your belts and hoses that make really take a little bit of space up. Maybe that's not for everybody anyway. Uh, but you can probably make it worth your fluids. You know, you're talking about a small bin, keep your fluids in some sort of additional fluid tight container so they don't leak everywhere. Nothing will screw up upholstery better than transmission fluid. Just going to say. Um, but again, you're still not a big amount of gear. Um, extraction kit, you know, you're probably only belts or come-alongs, uh, winch that's on the vehicle. So I'm not going to keep going, but you, you get the point. Like this is, not, this is not gearing up to bug out three counties over with your bug out trailer and live for three weeks until the floodwaters recede and you can go home and see what's left of your house. This is everyday driving essentials is the way I look at it. And if you go through my list, you may find that you can knock five of these off. It's not being really germane to you and or necessary. right? You might decide you really don't need a tarp, one, one blanket's enough. You might decide you don't really need additional flashlights because they are in your bug out bag, right? Uh, you might decide you don't really give a damn about uh, kid kit and dog kit because you don't have either one. Uh, but I think you'll find that most of them, they made the list for a reason. And there probably is a way to incorporate them without taking up a lot of space and without giving up your comfort and without spending a ton of money either. Um, I was going to try to put like Amazon links to all this stuff in all the day. And the way I look at it is if you have a specific recommendation that you would like, let me know. Because I think a lot of this stuff you probably already own. And it's just a matter of making sure it's available to you. And everybody's vehicle is different. Everybody's budget is different. Everybody's needs are different. But if there's something particular that we talked about today that you would like a specific recommendation on that's not already in one of my reviews or something like that, let me know and I'll give it to you. I don't want to turn today's show into a, pro, uh, a shopping list. I will say the one thing about today is it is, uh, it is Prime Day on Amazon, so there's a lot of great deals out there. And if you're going to be taking advantage of that for this stuff or anything else, 
Please consider using tspaz.com when you shop online, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You will find all the things I've recommended, like my tire plug kit, like my um, uh, my air compressor kits, etc., Uh, my reusable zip ties, the Cataluna Manufacturing, Tar Bank Line, all that's all that stuff's a T-Spaz. And the reason it's there, you know why. I own it, I use it, uh, I spent my money on it, I would do it again. Um, I think there's one item, there's, there's like over 360 items that I've reviewed on T-Spaz now. And I think there's one that I was given in return for the review, and it was a stainless steel double-walled insulated growler for beer. So one out of all, and I still loved it or I wouldn't have reviewed it. So everything else there I bought for myself after extensive research. So if you're looking for some stuff, you may find what you're looking for there. But if you start your shopping there, even if you don't buy the stuff I've reviewed or whatever, you help us no matter what you buy. And Prime Day is a good day to stock up on things because everything's on sale. Uh, lots of things are on sale, not everything. Now I'll tell you one thing that is on sale. And it's really cool that it's on sale for today, uh, even though it's not a good vehicle kit item. It is my new favorite French Press by a company called Secura, S-E-C-U-R-A. Um, I am a big fan of French Presses for making coffee, uh, for making herbal infusions and things like that for cooking, and for making teas. Uh, it has become my go-to for coffee for two reasons. One, it just makes great coffee. And two, it makes me not drink two pots of coffee a day because when the thing's empty and I want more coffee, I got to go boil water, clean it out, and make another one. It's not a big deal, but it's, you know... When you make a pot, you end up with 12 cups instead of three. And if my wife drinks one, I only end up with two per a batch. So it makes it easy to limit myself to you know two to four cups of coffee a day, and I'm not all jittery like I was. I, I actually quit coffee, for those that weren't here when I did it, for about six months because I was drinking uh, three to four pots of coffee a day. When I went back to drinking coffee again, I went to the French press for the quality and to help me with portion control on it. And I have a really great one that I've recommended for years. I still think it's a great French press. But we got this one when we were going to Florida. My wife wanted to take a French press with us to make our own coffee instead of, as she put it, the crafty coffee in the hotel room. And so I got this stainless steel insulated one because I knew it wouldn't break when the baggage monkeys threw it through my baggage through the air and hurled it at the airplane like they were Superman. And so I decided I would get one that wouldn't break that wasn't made out of glass. Now I use it most of the time over the glass one because it's insulated. So when I make that last one of the day, it stays hot for a good 30 minutes. So when I come back for that second cup, it's nice and warm, and I'll have to microwave coffee, and Nicole Sauce doesn't tell me how wrong I am and evil I am for microwaving coffee. So I really like this French press. Well, here's the thing. It's normally almost 40 bucks, and I think it's a good deal at that. Or I wouldn't recommend it, but it's it's like 36% off today. It's like 20 Let me check the actual price here uh, on it while it's on Prime Day. $25.48 versus $39.99. So that's $15 off for the 34-ounce one, which is the one that I have and recommend, um, plus free shipping, and you save $15. If you've been wanting a nice French press for your kitchen, um, today's the day. Get one. I mean, that's a heck of a deal. They have a really big one. It's 50 ounces. It's on sale for $40, and they have a little one if you want to just make smaller amounts, 17-ounce, or it's on sale. Gee, for the same price, $24.99. So right now, that's how good a deal Uh, the 34-ounce, uh, which is kind of the perfect size uh, most French presses are, is the same price as the 17-ounce one. And the 50-ounce one is the same price 
as the 34 usually is when it sells for full price. So Prime Day, man. Hey, it's it's cool, right? Uh, so check it out from Secura. But remember, you always support us no matter what you buy as long as you do your online shopping at tspaz.com. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, you want to support us. The other way is consider becoming a member of the Survival Podcast Support Brigade. To do that, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. That's all I'll say about that today. All right, so let's talk about our song of the day today as we go through Charlie Daniels Week. Do you think I like Charlie Daniels? I think I told you guys this last week when I uh, when I played the first Charlie Daniels of six Charlie Daniels songs we're going through. Uh, but my dog's middle name is Daniels, right? So I named my dog Charlie Daniels Spirko, and he answers to both Charlie and he answers to Daniels. So I kind of like Charlie Daniels. All right, uh, this is one of the songs I always loved. This is a song I loved as a kid. Uh, and it kind of scared me a little bit. When I say as a kid, too, I'm talking the 70s, right? So I'm talking about being a little kid, like seven, eight years old. The Legend of Wooly Swamp. I loved this song till the dark water sucked them down. It's just, it, it's kind of really great, stereotypical Charlie Daniels music. But it's also got this kind of creepy swamp, you know, voodoo vibe with a little bit of like, you know, your classic, uh, like 80s flick car, like, you know, almost like a Jason, uh, Friday the 13th kind of imagery, even though it's an old man. And it's also a moral based story, as in those, those that steal from others, those that harm others, will sooner or later, uh, find the wrath of life's karma. In the story, it happens almost instantly. In life, sometimes it takes time, but I really do believe we get what we give over time. With that, we've wrapped up another episode. I hope you guys got a lot out of it today. I hope you're going to be more prepared with your vehicles going forward. and help. Hopefully, this will be something that will be easy to sell the reluctant spouses on as well. And you can just slowly build up the stuff without even telling them. And as you add things, say, hey, here's how this works, right? Here's extra water just so we have it, that type of thing. Um, so I hope you got all of that out of it. Hope you enjoy the song. Hope you enjoyed today's show. With that, it's been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tougher, even if they don't.